Welcome to Artful Conversations, a podcast about arts and cultural management. I'm Anita Latham. And I'm Katrina Ingram. We interview leaders who help shape the world of arts and culture, sharing their stories, insights, and observations. Welcome to Artful Conversations. I'm your host, Katrina Ingram. Today, I'm speaking with the Executive Director of City Ballet, Sherry Somerville. Welcome, Sherry. Thanks. Nice to be here. Great to have you here. Sherry, you've been contributing and advocating for the arts in Edmonton for a very long time, nearly three decades. Prior to coming to City Ballet in 2015 as the executive director, you had a successful career as an international and local performer, owned and operated the Wine Bar and Bistro, Somerville Wine Room, and served as the president of the Varscona Theatre. That's quite a resume. Oh, yeah, I've been busy. (laughs) So before we talk about City Ballet, could you talk about your choice as an artist to make Edmonton your home? What led you to that decision and how did that impact you as an artist? Uh, I was born in Grand Prairie, Alberta, so I'm a northern Alberta girl. And when I was uh, 17, I um, wiggled my way into the voice opera program at at the Banff Centre and then was invited to go to the Canadian Opera School, which I did in Toronto. And I had a a great career there and then had a baby and decided that um, it was going to be a pretty big challenge to have a student husband, a brand new baby, and be a touring musician and actor uh, and not have any family support. So I thought we'd come back and try Alberta for a short period um, and ended up staying. And I absolutely was shocked by how much the community had evolved and grown and was very warmly embraced by it when I came back and decided never to leave. Wonderful. So it has not impacted my career negatively at all. In fact, I did as much international touring being based out of Edmonton that I did being based out of Toronto. I think that's really encouraging for Mm -hmm. Edmonton-based artists to know. Oh, for sure. Well, let's jump in and tell us uh, a little bit about City Ballet. City Ballet. So we are Edmonton's resident contemporary ballet company. So when you think of ballet, you think of big ballet, um, Royal Winnipeg, Alberta Ballet, National Ballet. Um, Those are big companies that do beautiful, traditional, classic pieces. The Nutcracker, Swan Lake, Peter Pan. And City Ballet is a contemporary company. So we have between eight and ten dancers any given year. We do original work. And we try and do work that that reflects the community and we try and be highly collaborative with with other artistic partners. And City Ballet is also known for pushing the conventional artistic boundaries of ballet. Could you help us to better understand what that means and how it relates to the mandate of the company? For sure. So when you think of a traditional ballet, you think of uh, maybe a couple of principles and a corps de ballet, you know, the chorus in the background. Obviously, lots of point work, but also tutus and what they call bun heads, hair up and tiaras, very, very classical. And uh, a contemporary ballet company is, in our case, uh, we still uh, hire classically trained dancers and they wear point shoes for at least 50% of the time on stage because we we find that point work is something that a lot of dancers really, really want to maintain when they come to us. But the repertoire and the costuming and the themes are all completely different. So we use jazz music or contemporary music or drumming. Um, we'll use um, conceptual lighting instead of a set. Hair can be down. Costumes can sort of look like street clothes or just um, almost like workout wear. So and and of course, the storyline, the the messages that we're talking, we really try and mine what's happening from a social purpose angle or from a community angle. And we'll talk about that. We uh, we just finished a piece on mental health. 
we did a piece last year on um, sort of the group think, the abdication of responsibility when you're doing, uh, when you're succumbing to some peer pressure and how you react or act with each other. We've done a piece on uh, envir- the environment, melting glaciers with beautiful pieces from a, a film uh, used as a backdrop of icers, uh, glaciers falling into the ocean. Um, so we try and, and draw people in so that they can see the beauty and, and, the, and the majesty of what ballet is, all that strength, all that elite power that these dancers have, but telling stories with their bodies and with the soundtrack that more people can relate to. We don't want to lose the art form because people feel disconnected maybe from from the more fairy tale based pieces. Right. And that's a perfect description of uh, an original work, contrasting that with the tradition of ballet and the very traditional work. And I'm wondering if you could maybe speak to the importance of producing original work. Do you think that's important? And, and why do you think that's important? Oh, it's always important. I want to say also that the traditional pieces are also important because they're the legacy of ballet. Um, and that is often how you hook the next generation. You get little kids and they want to see that that fanciful um, fantasy ballet and that's how they they become intrigued about maybe that's what I want to do and I think however that we want the art form to to move forward uh, as people's sensibilities move forward people's artistic sensibilities and I think showing people that dance as a form of expression especially non-verbal expression is an incredibly powerful art form and so the only way to do that is to to get um, contemporary work happening because you can't speak to what's happening right now if you're not creating it right now we also want to give voice to young choreographers and female choreographers Uh, ballet is historically dominated by by male creators even though it's dominated by women on stage Go figure. Interesting. Yeah. I think there's so we're a few really, industries like that. <laughs> that's right. And times are, are changing. And we really want to find out what what women who have uh, often spent their life on stage as a female ballerina have to say, have to say with the way they move the bodies, have to say with their stories, um, have to say with their, their collaborative choices. Uh, the other thing is, is when you collaborate, when you create a new ballet, you can make that ballet you can bring new partners in. So you could do a spoken word partner. You could do, as I said, a percussive partner. You could do a jazz partner. You can make a, you can invite a young um, um, composer to build you a soundtrack and then create the movement around that. So I think it's really important that, that we, we hook the next generation of ballet lovers. And that generation has very, very distinct tastes for what they want to see when they go out. And that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is about the recent media coverage around the production of Intersect. And it really highlights the choreographer's artistic process and how their life experiences inform their work. How does promoting their stories build a stronger repertoire for the ballet? I think oh, in a multitude of ways. First of all, it's really informative for the dancers to be working with a choreographer who's so honest about um, in this case, her own struggles with with mental health and mental wellness. And so when she is moving dancers around the room, they're not just creating random architecture with their bodies. They're actually being driven by intent. So it speaks a little bit more to the idea of how an actor would come into a scene. What am I trying to achieve? What's my purpose? What's my motivation? So I think when we're trying to grow artists, not just obedient dancers, we um, 
having brand new work that they feel they're the well they are the first people to produce it and and move it and build it uh, that hopefully for these dancers is an empowering experience because they are bringing to life this intention this non-verbal narrative of this wonderful new creator and we think that'll build stronger dance artists and I, you just mentioned building stronger dance artists, and that leads nicely into a question I have about succession planning for the company. I know that's one of your goals. Why is this important to you, and what did you need to put in place in order to accomplish that as an objective? That's still a work in progress, but it, it, when I, you know, I've been in the arts for 40 years and taking over a ballet company, although there are many, many similarities with music and theater and everything else I've always done, um, what I came to understand about uh, ballet dancers is that there's a really finite point for them in terms of in their 30s, um, at the uh, maybe a 40s, but generally in their 30s, their career is over. And there's been a lot of talk for many years about what do you do with a ballerina who's young but can't dance professionally anymore, and they go off and they teach. Well, maybe they don't all want to just teach. Maybe they want to evolve uh, as senior artists, they generally come in to dance at two or three or four in a studio and they dance all the way through their professional life. That is, uh, takes up all their free time. It is an elite sport like an Olympic athlete. So they often don't know anything else. And then to just suddenly have them retire at 30, 28, 32 didn't make sense to me. So I thought, how can we evolve them all the way through their careers? We get them in their early 20s. How can we sort of encourage them to broaden their skills, be more aware of what else is going out in the community? And one of the things we can do is offer them some um, either administrative support if they want to take a course on learning how to do um, that side of, of um, the arts while they're dancing with us. We'll support that and sometimes we'll pay for it. The other thing that they can do is we want to move them into the community-based learning. So we have a new program called Art Connects that deals with seniors and at-risk youth and socially vulnerable kids, people in trauma, um, some military families. We're trying to get involved with them. Um, we want to move our dancers into that seg segment of the population so that they can see the rewards at taking movement, not just dance, but movement into the mainstream, movement into the community, movement as a healing force, movement as a rehabilitative force, movement as a fitness force, uh, movement with with um, community building, relationship building, to de-escalate uh, stress and anxiety. So I think there's a whole other place that they could go for forever, for decades. And so that is, we're just beginning that, but that's that's the vision for this. this that sounds amazing. Time. And it, it's so hard to conceive of someone having their career ending at the age of 30 when people are working well into their 60s these yeah, days. Yeah, so 70s, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to ask about a collaboration that you did recently with Scott Berry from the Nina Haggerty Centre for the Arts, um, which is uh, stated to be the first of its kind. What was that collaboration about and why was it so important? Uh, it's important to me on a personal level because about nine years ago I was asked to host um, a, a fundraiser for the Nina Haggerty and I didn't know who they were. So they're an artist uh, collective in Edmonton. Uh, they have a beautiful facility and they take people with disabilities, sometimes quite severe disabilities, and um, they give them space to create art and they mentor them and they bring in the visual arts community and it is 
it's it's a shockingly beautiful moving uh, place where creation happens. And when I took over City Ballet, one of the first things that occurred to me when I was thinking of all the partnerships was, how do I get the Nina Hagerty involved? So um, I threw the idea out at Kira Keglowicz, the last um, choreographer who did uh, her piece, See Me, that since she was doing a piece on her own struggles with her own um, stigma around being labeled somebody who has some mental wellness issues. I said, well, I know another group of people in town who have a lot of stigma attached to them, but they're very proud artists. What if you um, invited them to create with you? What if they created the set? And so I invited her to come with me and meet the people at the Nina, and she started looking at different artists and fell in love with Scott's work and, um, and approached them and him to see if he was interested and of course he was because he's quite passionate about his his artistic uh, pursuits and we came up with an idea that Scott would create these beautiful five 17 foot canvases to be used as our set and then um, Kira and I got to talking and decided that why wouldn't we also ask Scott to do some silk screening on some of the black costuming so that he could have a hand in the in the uh, costumes as well and off it went. That's a lovely example of, of collaboration. Do you have future collaborations planned, either with the Nina or other organizations? Oh, I can for sure see the, a collaboration with the Nina happening again, you bet. And we have absolutely lots of collaborations happening. Um, we are talking to um, musicians Chris Andrew and even the Dean over at McEwen, Alan Gilliland, about using some of their music. Um, we're working with, uh, or we're in conversation with the deaf community. I'd really like to do a ballet with the deaf community. That would be super interesting. And having some signing and taking sound away from the audience for a while and still having the dancers move and telling stories with voice and without voice, but with sign so that there's an exchange where the, the, the deaf community knows what's going on and the hearing community experiences what it's like to only know part of what's going on. So um, we, we, of course, are, are always talking to our Indigenous community about coming to us with an idea where they feel we would be relevant to their story. There's a lot of amazing Indigenous stories, not all to do with truth and reconciliation, just beautiful stories that the indi Indigenous people want to tell. And we want to figure out how we can take what's been long considered a colonial art form, ballet, and can modernize it and have it be relevant to their their story. So we had some Indigenous artists come to the last play, see me, and they were really excited. So we're going to have some conversations this summer. Um, we, we want to go back to doing some percussive work with drummers. There's a couple of spoken work, word and artists and poets that we want to work with. So it's endless. It sounds endless. Absolutely. I, uh, I want to talk about audience development, and it's an important topic for any organization in the arts. Not only do you need to engage your current audience, but you need to find opportunities to engage with new ones. How would you define the audience of City Ballet? We have a surprisingly young audience. I mean, we certainly have those traditional ballet goers um, of every age, and we have some some older ballet goers who really, you know, they're they're not just ballet goers. Actually, they see arts in the city, and we're one of them. But we, if you look around our lobby, it's really a sort of heavy in the twenty five to forty range, which is awesome because that's what we were pursuing. Uh, because we do want the next generation. We get our young dance students who come and, and see us, but we want that 
those people who see jazz concerts and go to symphony and go to theater and and um, go everywhere to come and see us. We don't, we don't, we want to break down the notion that ballet is this elitist thing that you have to understand or you have to have some insight in order to get um, and say that you can come and see us knowing nothing about ballet. You'll just sit there in the dark and be bathed by music and amazing movement and uh, you'll connect with it. You just will. We, we we work really hard at making sure that it's not a confusing experience for people. So we try and do fun things like um, pair or collaborate with. Last year we did Moonshine Donuts. We gave free donuts out after Friday performances. We did a beer and donuts thing, trying to sort of say to people, you know, the millennials, come on, hang out with us. It's not a long commitment. You can go out for for drinks afterwards or carry on with your night but make a stop at city ballet and see what we're all about we also definitely want the people who do go and see traditional ballet to know that there's contemporary ballet happening in edmonton and know that it's the same those are the same dancers from the same wonderful ballet institutions they have just made different choices about how they want to use their bodies to express their art form so it's it's a big job trying to get everybody um, to understand who we are and what we do, but we're we're up for it. That sounds great, especially like the donuts. That sounds like a, a very good engagement strategy. Yeah. Are there other things that you w- might want to highlight around audience engagement? Yes, we we uh, we don't want anybody to um, ever feel that they can't come. So we we make uh, student pricing um, accessible. We invite seniors to come for free. Uh, we do a lot of free class or free tickets for vulnerable groups. Um, that's the military family resource center. Um, families often in the trauma center who are undergoing some rehabilitative work after coming back from tours. We uh, have socially vulnerable kids and teens. We invite kids from iHuman. So we're trying to make sure that ballet is accessible for everybody and affordable for everybody. And that's a model that'll keep evolving. We might move to a pay-what-you-can performance um, so that so that uh, all Edmontonians know ultimately we perform for them. We don't perform in a vacuum. We don't perform in an artistic silo where it's just meaningful for us. It's really important that it's meaningful for the community. That's great. It's like you're reading my mind with these questions because my next question is actually (laughs) focused on Edmontonians. And I know throughout your career, you've been a strong supporter of Edmonton and Edmontonians. How has that local influence informed how you approach your work at City Ballet? People ask me all the time because I've started out as a performer you know don't you miss performing or do you perform very much anymore or how is it moving into admin and my answer really is that being an administrator and facilitating the next generation of young artists to go on stage for the majority of my time um, is my way of saying thank you to Edmonton so when I first of all I was you know I was raised in Alberta and I was in Edmonton by the time I was 12 and I was embraced by every arts community I ever came near either when I was a young performer and they fostered my career moving forward and they they helped me overcome my shyness and they helped me find scholarships and and they directed me to, towards better teachers and better experiences. And then when I was a professional performer and I did come back from Toronto, I had all these women in my neighborhood who took my kids, uh, picked them up after school, picked them up at lunch when I was either in rehearsal or on tour. And 
And then there's the Edmonton audience, which has been so incredibly warm and loving and loyal to me and followed me around as I crisscrossed from jazz to theater to contemporary dance to where symphony, the opera, wherever I was, they seemed to follow me. And I have felt so loved and so supported and so valued by my city that my efforts as an administrator is a way of saying thank you and trying to give back to make sure that those those people still have something to fall in love with. That audience has a next generation, a next artistic experience that, that they feel committed to and that their kids can feel committed to. That's an amazing story and really speaks, I think, highly to the, the Edmonton community. I'm wondering about... Um, are there specific things that City Ballet is doing to advocate for local artists to aid in their professional development? Absolutely. We have a really strong um, local draw on on our collaborators. I mean, that's where we'll always go first. So our musicians will come from here. There wouldn't be enough shows in my lifetime um, for me to use all the people in Edmonton that I want to use. So we are definitely going to tap into the visual arts community, the music community, um, the um, choreographic community, um, the um, sound design community, the lighting design community. We, we use as many Edmonton artists as we can. The people that we bring in generally when we have to bring choreographers in, it's because there aren't as many, uh, not a very big pool of um, ballet contemporary choreographers in the city for me to draw on or we would be drawing on them almost exclusively so it's kind of fun I mean we're drawing from around the rest of Canada which is neat too because you want to bring fresh voices to Edmonton but definitely we will we will be chewing through those artistic resources (laughs) we're coming for you Edmonton artists that's great. So if we look at the two realms, there's the audience support and there's local talent. What do you see as a value for the consumer or audience to supporting emerging local artists? Oh, that you had a hand in in moving them forward, that you were there, that they're yours, that your support, your ticket fees, your small donations, your big donations is is because these artists choose to to live here to give to you so accept their gift accept their art and feed it back to them by buying a ticket it's this sort of reciprocal wonderful relationship and often what the consumer needs to know is when you develop an Edmonton artist inevitably somebody from outside Edmonton is going to take them and ask them to come Uh, somewhere else like they did with me they asked me to sing in Hong Kong and Paris and I've toured all over the world but I kept coming home to Edmonton because I also felt so loved and so supported and so um, so cherished here and I I like that feeling this is my this is my home base so I think when um, consumers nurture that uh, they'll feel that back from the artists. The artists will create with them in mind. Artists love to look around them and um, and be inspired. They don't, artists don't need to travel outside of Edmonton to be inspired. And so when you see work that is coming out of Edmonton, it's usually because something here has, has made them think about their project. And so they're really actually reflecting you, the consumer. So, uh, and I think also in terms of growing the city overall, I said this to a builder, you know, who who gives us some money. I said, uh, thank you for seeing that 
When you built those magnificent towers on 104th Street, you knew though that all of those people had to walk out the front door and go somewhere and do something else. So you're creating another beautiful opportunity for them by giving to the art gallery, by giving to us. And so that when they walk back in your building, happy from a night in downtown Edmonton, you facilitated that whole circle, right? You created more than just a building. You created an experience. And so we talk a lot about that um, with the business community. You're drawing resources from people by them buying your product or banking with you or whatever they're doing. And then you take a portion of that and you give it back to us and we give it back to them. So the circle is complete. The lovely image of the, the complete circle. And I do want to talk a bit about fundraising. I know beyond the regular season of three performances at the Tim Center in Edmonton, there are a number of other programs and events that the company organizes. One is the unique annual fundraising campaign called Art and Soul, and that's soul spelled S-O-L-E, which is a <laughs> nice clever reference to dance. Tell us more about this event. Ah, yes, fundraising. 80% of my budget comes from me holding my hand out in one form or another, and uh, fundraisers are a big part of it. So one of our, we have a big um, annual fundraiser called City Home Tour, where we get uh, five or six um, people with beautiful homes to we kick them out of their homes for two days and we we st staff their homes and we sell tickets but we needed another one and one of our big expenses is point shoes so our our lady dancers go through um, a pair of point shoes a week and those wow. point shoes are 125 dollars a pair so we chew through them pretty quick so we have a, a fairly um, big point shoe bill every year and so I thought we need a a uh, fundraiser really dedicated to trying to fill that that uh, GL or that part on my my ledger, and so um, I thought, well, let's do a, a fundraiser connected to feet, and we all wear shoes, so we're going to do a fashion show all about footwear. So it's not going to be about the clothes; it's really going to be about the shoes. So we partnered with three local vendors. Um, this year it'll be Gravity Pope, Poppy Barley, and Kunitz. And they give us shoes for the, the day and uh, my dancers and then some other local models and celebrities will walk down the runway and we have a global um, uh, host, global TV, Jennifer Crosby is a charming host and we have fun and talk about the shoes and my dancers do a bit of point work also on the runway. And then we have a beautiful uh, party with a whole bunch of wonderful silent auction gifts from local vendors. And that's how we refurbish our point shoe fund. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm also thinking if my husband is listening to this podcast, he has no complaints about my shoe budget relative to <laughs> the dancer's right. shoe budget. Um, that sounds really wonderful. I love the uh, opportunity to partner with the different businesses that you mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned earlier the Arts Connect program where you use dance and movement to serve different communities such as seniors and at-risk youth. And we'd love to hear more about how that program came about and how it fits into your overall community engagement strategy. Yeah, so community engagement is an interesting thing because whenever you go out, first of all, again, looking for money, people would say, oh, that's awesome, you're a ballet company. What else do you do? And I thought, oh, geez, well, okay, we dance five days a week, but... I thought, what else do we do? So we know that my dancers teach, they sort of teach mainstream ballet classes. And that got me thinking about what else could we do? Because there seemed to be this push, and that's a good push, 
to be more mindful of how you give back. So the first thing I did was I thought, well, we're going to make ballet more accessible. So I'm going to reach out to a bunch of organizations and make sure they can come to the ballet. And that was seniors, the kids at iHuman, all of those organizations I mentioned earlier, vulnerable kids. So we got um, a lot of those people coming and we were really happy at the uptake. And then we started getting some letters or phone calls of thanks back. And a couple of meaningful letters came from military families um, talking about what it meant to have a stress-free day as a family, um, going through what they're going through right now with perhaps a, a parent being uh, injured or having some trauma, head trauma, a loss of limb, loss of, of mobility, and how this, this um, stress-free experience at no cost was so meaningful. And then we got letters from little kids at Big Brothers Big Sisters, or their, their bigs, they call them, um, talking about having never been to a professional arts uh, performance before and how much the littles talked about it. And that made me really happy for a year. And then I realized, wait a minute, but the missing component is that those little ones would never be able to dream of being a dancer. Because, of course, if you can't even afford to go to a production, I'll bet you can't afford classes and shoes and leotards. So Art Connects was born out of that. At first, I called it Art Heals. And then I thought, we're going to expand it. So we're going to connect these kids to classes. And we're going to have to give the classes. So I went back out into the community. And uh, I found a partner. Um, ATB stepped up to the plate. And I said, just try it for a year. Give me money to give these kids free classes. So all I need to do is pay the teachers and buy the shoes and buy the bar portable bars and whatever materials I needed. And they leapt all over it. And um, we were so grateful for their support. And so we went to Big Brothers Big Sisters. They have a beautiful facility in Macaulay. And I said, I can teach here. So your kids are already here. So I'll come here. And we do that. And it is one of the most rewarding things I have ever done. Those kids are so fun and so happy. And it's a really beautiful, diverse kids. They're, they're indigenous kids and um, refugees from everywhere around the world and uh, kids who absolutely could never dream of taking classes. And then with the seniors, I thought, okay, well, what about them? So I actually moved my mom into a facility and it happened to be a facility that we had given free tickets to and they asked me if we did anything for seniors. So so I looked around to see who else in the country was doing work with seniors. And I saw that the National Ballet in Toronto was doing some work. So had a series of meetings with them and they actually flew out here. And I said, I want to partner with you and I want to learn what you're doing. And they were incredibly generous. So we developed that seniors program and we're getting some more training to deal with seniors with Alzheimer's, dementia and then with Parkinson's disease to learn how to do some uh, specialized work with them. But right now we're running a program for seniors in facilities where they do adapted dance. So they sit and we can do upper body stuff and lower body stuff. And there's, they're safe because they're not going to topple over. So even s we have some seniors in wheelchairs. Um, and it's, again, really rewarding to connect with these people and bring them uh, the music of their time, a lot of wartime music, and then some fun movement stuff for their health for their um, engagement with each other and they tend to do better uh, with cognitively when they're stimulated by the music that they remember so for a while it doesn't matter if they know what day it is or even where they are they're having fun
And that's really, really rewarding for us. And that is, that again has endless possibilities. I could talk all day about that. That's wonderful. I love how you're working with people of all ages and that you're thinking about the future. And I'm just wondering when you project five or 10 years into the future, what do you hope are the long-term impacts of this program? I actually hope that um, I can, and I'm already having small conversations about it. I hope that arts is integrated into the healthcare system. I hope that eventually we have a health and wellness center as part of the the University Hospital and the Royal Alec and that we are integrating artists and art practices into mainstream health. We all know that um, drugs are coming up short. They're not the magic bullet that they were touted to be, that people need more holistic um, um, treatments or practices to bring them back to themselves. So there's a really, I, I want to see in five years that movement and music and art has a big place in the mental health field. Uh, and in w working with seniors, I want it to be normalized and that um, all kids, new, ki new Canadians, Indigenous Canadians, kids with no money, kids under stress, kids doing badly at school have access to arts. Arts has been cut from the school system and it needs to come back and, and the arts community needs to drive that. We need to be innovative and we need the business community to see the value in that and that we're taking care of these kids by giving them another way to feel successful and to uh, talk about their feelings and to work through their frustrations. That's a great vision. I, I'm wondering if there are any other aspects of your community engagement strategy that you want to highlight, or even things that you tried and they didn't go as planned, because sometimes we learn a lot from the things that don't go as planned. Oh, for sure. I mean, the seniors um, program programming we know we have to be careful about the language you, we use because some of the men are intimidated by it the older gentlemen so we, we got to take the word ballet out of it we have to just use the word movement or dance or um, so we're learning those things we're learning that um, the way that we speak about something uh, is very important in getting people engaged um, we don't have a lot of sort of absolute failures, but we, we, one of the things that we struggle with and not just city ballet, but all companies is, is that those partnerships with the business community and the philanthropic community and the donor community, having people really see the arts and arts programming as being economic drivers, that they employ people, that they, engage people in their community when you when when you go out to see any performance and you have a really good experience you want to see another one not just with that company but you want to engage people to see other performances it is a national it's a it's a an international crisis of epic proportions where people are disconnected from each other more now than they have ever been through um, cell phones and computers it is not what it was purported to be and you know Facebook is talking about that all the time they've created a monster we need to get people back together in their communities with their real friends <laughs> not their <laughs> virtual friends and we need to get people um, having dialogues being stimulated by really good artistic experiences the arts exists 
to take um, the normal and flip it upside down or expose its underbelly. The arts exists to um, drive conversation forward. The arts exists to motivate people, to um, empower them to come together. Things like um, Me Too can be really, really um, powerful. Artists had a big voice in Me Too. And so we need also to continue to tell other stories using the artistic voice. But we need the whole community engaged. We need it to be a lifestyle. So I am failing uh, when I'm not selling every show out. Right? So success for me is a, is a lineup when I have to add more shows. That sounds like success. That sounds like a good <laughs> measurement. We're, we're coming to the end of our time here. This has been an amazing conversation. I'm wondering, what does the future hold for Sherry Somerville and for City Ballet? Well, for Sherry Somerville, who knows, because I have a lot of things I'm interested in. Um, I will always be um, involved in the arts in some way. I certainly hope with City Ballet that I can grow um, the impact we have on Edmonton and Alberta. We'd like to tour more. I'd like to have some more staff. <laughs> I'd like to uh, do more mentorship. I hope that um, we can influence dance in Edmonton and that we can be a, a, a cultural hub for contemporary ballet, contemporary dance, um, that we have more people coming here to study dance and to think of Edmonton as a, what it is, which is a really leading voice in Canadian culture. And that we can let the rest of Canada know how important and how powerful arts in Alberta is, in Edmonton, in Calgary, and in the rural provinces. So that's a big mandate of mine is to let the rest of Canada know how proud I am of Edmonton and drag Edmonton around the country to let them see firsthand. Fabulous. And Sherry, is there anything else you want to share with our audience that we haven't had a chance to cover yet? Yeah, I'm just really excited for McEwen University. I think this new facility that I'm sitting here uh, in here talking to you is stunning. I think these young artists um, have no idea how lucky they are. I think the Edmonton community has no idea what, what is going to come out of this building in the next few years. And Edmonton is a rich, rich community. We have the, the arts department at the University of Alberta. We have McEwen University. We have all these independent studios and teachers. And I think we're all going to come together more uh, because of facilities like this. It's a real uh, magnet for creative collaborations. Even by having me here is, is proof of that. And I think watch out, Edmonton. <laughs> that's wonderful Sherry I just want to say thank you so much for coming and being on our podcast today I've really enjoyed the conversation and I have to ask you this because I feel I would be remiss with your background if I didn't ask you to sing us out would you be willing to do that for us today oh sure fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Hi, it's Anita and Katrina in the studio. Um, that was an amazing interview. Um, I liked the singing at the end. That was so fun. That was great. <laughs> I think we should get all our guests to exit like that. Um, one of the things that I think really impresses me about Sherry is the fact that she's an incredibly passionate 
business person and she takes that passion with her whatever she does and I really like that because she doesn't kind of shut that down because she's now in the arts she keeps it really alive and 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 also when she talked about the ballet dancers and their careers and how that can nearly be over when they're 30 and but she's passionate about that's just the beginning of a career and having that real legacy and really seeing that as part of her role almost as a mentor that she helps them develop their career into arts management or wherever they want to go with that and I thought that was a great business model of a wonderful mentor, really, but also a very wise businesswoman. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And you're right, she really does infuse her um, skill set as a business person with her life as a performer. And yeah. it's, it's very seamless. And she talked about this idea of giving back as an arts administrator. Yeah. And I thought that was just a really interesting concept. And she's gone herself from being a performer to this new role of fostering a new generation of artists. And she's really loving how that she's able to do that it's come full circle for her yeah very much so well look I think one of the interesting things that she mentioned and is in as a challenge for the ballet but I think also a challenge for a lot of our traditional arts is that gender thing of you know things are created by males and performed by females I mean it's pretty prominent in the in the ballet but you know when you think about taking that into theatre and taking that into the fine arts world and all of those kind of things, I thought it was really interesting. And, um, you know, you and I have talked about this uh, offline and gone, hadn't thought about that before. And it's really, really interesting. I love the way that she is thinking about how to do that differently now and how to move that around. Um, And I certainly know in the series they've done in this year, they've actually had... uh, female choreographer and she was fantastic her work was incredible this show was created by executive producer Annetta Latham producer Katrina Ingram technical producer Paul Johnston research assistant Raelle Lockwood theme music by Emily DeFour and cover art by Constanza Pasher Artful Conversations is a production of McEwen University all rights reserved